This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network. Have you ever had one of those days when everything you do seems to go wrong, and the more you try, the more things seem to go in the wrong direction? And you sometimes wonder if it's really worth it to keep on trying. The first thing that pops in your head is, why bother? Things will just turn out the same. Well, today I want to tell you a story about a person who experienced those very same frustrations, and for a long time, too. Things didn't get better, and sometimes they even got worse, but he did keep on plugging away, and what he finally accomplished, well, it's pretty unbelievable, but true. You'll see what I mean. His name was Alfred Bassett, and he was born in a small little village near Montreal in Canada. Young Alfred was the eighth of twelve children. His parents were poor, and to provide for the family, well, it took a great deal of hard work just to put food on the table and provide shelter. And even through their poverty, it was important for them to raise their children to know the power of prayer and to work as hard as necessary to survive. They taught not by words alone, but by example. Maybe that's a lesson for us, too. When Alfred was born, he was a tiny baby and seemed so frail and sick that his father Isaac was afraid that he would not survive and rushed him to a priest to be baptized. Their income family did not improve, so Isaac decided to move the family a short distance away where there was a need for lumbermen. Oh, the pay was much better than he was able to make at farming, but the work was harder and more dangerous, but he could provide more for his family. And during all these days, the children were taught their religion lessons and how they should live their lives. And this had a powerful effect on young Alfred. Their lives seemed much better for the next five years, but then Isaac was killed by a falling tree, and once again the family was in crisis. Alfred's mother, Clotilda, was only 40 and had 10 children to support. Not only was she not physically strong, but she also was shattered by the death of her husband. But she utilized every bit of strength she had to keep the family together. And through it all, she remained strong in her faith, even though her health was beginning to fail. Well, she developed tuberculosis, and this illness obviously prevented her from taking care of her children, and she had to put them all up for adoption, except Alfred, who was so sickly he had to move in with her sister. It was during this time that Alfred met Father André Provencal, who gave Alfred his formal teachings of the church as he prepared the young boy for his first Holy Communion. His teachings were to have a profound effect on Alfred. Two years later, Alfred's mother died, and now he was just 12 years old, his mother gone, and he was still living with his sister, and her husband sent the 12-year-old boy out to work in the fields as a farm laborer. Now, if you remember earlier, I mentioned things not going right and how difficult events being the norm of the day. Well, that's when it started to really happen to Alfred. You remember that he was very small and frail as a young boy. He was expected to earn his keep, so what was to happen? 
Well, after some pretty heavy discussions, it was decided that Alfred should learn a trade and was sent to be an apprentice to a cobbler so that he could learn his livelihood as a shoemaker. This would be a good trade. People always needed shoes. The idea may have been sound, but the results were far from satisfactory. Alfred wasn't very good with his hands. In fact, he was downright clumsy, and that proved dangerous when he was required to cut and shape the leather. It seemed he did more cutting and scraping on himself than the leather on which he was supposed to be working. He tried some other skills to earn his keep. There was always a need for tinsmiths, and so he was to give that a try. Well, the tin was sharp, and Alfred wasn't very well coordinated, and the results were the same. And so, for the next thirteen years, Alfred would be like a wandering minstrel, traveling about trying to find the right niche for his life but the religious training he had received at home in those happier days seemed to give him the strength to keep persevering. He tried many trades, but again his stamina just wasn't enough to handle swinging those heavy hammers when he would try to be a blacksmith. He would go on again on an endless journey to find his place in life, praying as he went. There were many attempts. He tried to become an apprentice baker, but kept burning himself. He tried it, uh, He tried handling heavy trays. He couldn't lift them. Then there were building of coaches, and that didn't work either. Alfred even crossed over the border into the United States to see what he could find here. But always there would be the same results. And so in 1867, he returned to Canada and was now in his early 20s. Remember what I said at the beginning about things not going right and always being wrong or not working out? Well, Alfred Bissett was the poster boy for these problems, and they were not due to his lack of effort or trying his best. Physically, he just couldn't get the job done. Yet, in spite of all the difficulties and disappointments he endured, usually alone, His faith taught by his mother so many years ago was the foundation that kept him moving ever forward. At one point, somewhere around the year 1863, Alfred emigrated to the United States, still searching for his place in life. Oh, he tried a myriad of jobs in different trades, but none were successful. He would often in his later years tell of working in the field and pausing while leaning against a rake to get his breath. Anyway, on that special day, he paused and asked St. Joseph where he was going to die. Then something strange happened. You couldn't really call it a vision, but somehow in his mind he had a mental picture of this great stone building with a cross at the very top. Now, this was not a mental picture of something he had seen, but somehow it seemed real. His mind pictured the color, the pattern of stones, the size, and everything that is descriptive of a special building. And then he seemed a little bit to forget about it. After about three years in the United States, he decided that his future was really in his native Canada, and so he headed back northward. Clearly in his mind, he wondered what he had accomplished. The answer was obvious, nothing. And yet he constantly bombarded St. Joseph with prayers for guidance. 
You see, there was something very special about this young man. He never lost faith or trust in God. Think for a moment of today. How many young men today would continue the search as young Alfred did without losing faith and turning to the pleasures and temptations of this world? But not Alfred. Arriving back in his native Canada, he visited again the priest who had taught him about the faith and given him his first Holy Communion, his friend, Father André Provencal. There were changes everywhere. Across the street, there was a school that had been built, and perhaps as many as 80 children were being taught by a new religious order called the Congregation of the Holy Cross. Now, this congregation had its roots in France in the 1820s to provide sacristans and teachers for priests. The men were to be called the Brothers of St. Joseph, and history tells of many holy men who have contributed much in teaching, writing, and missionary work, but they were probably best remembered for their core Catholicity. That group founded what we today know as Notre Dame University in South Bend, Indiana. Alfred was mesmerized as Father Provencal told of this new order. In Alfred's mind, I have no doubt that this was suddenly an overwhelming recognition that this is what I've been looking for. Father Provencal recognized in Alfred a special calling. And taking pen to paper, he wrote to the administrator the following introduction, unknown to Alfred. It read, I am sending you a saint. Alfred was now 25 years old, and looking at him, the brothers had strong reservations. He looked so frail and small, plus his, his lack of schooling. He was considered to be less than qualified for the job of teaching, counseling, and the other activities requiring specific training because, as I mentioned earlier, he was but a few paces up the ladder from being illiterate. Watching the brothers who were dedicating their lives to Christ and his church, Alfred's heart ached for the chance to prove himself. He was certain that this time he had found his true calling and went again to visit his old friend and teacher, Father Provencal, who probably, through divine providence, saw something special, some special reason that Alfred should join this particular order. During his conversation with Alfred, he tried to reassure him that there were many ways he could help the order if he was willing to do menial work. After all, there was always a need for janitors and, and people to help clean and do repair work around the seminary. Plus, in a way, he would be assisting his patron, St. Joseph, who, as head of the family to which Christ himself was born, who also undoubtedly had to do many menial tasks to support Jesus and Mary. Well, Alfred tried again, offering to do whatever was asked of him, no matter how menial it would be. He was supremely confident that he had finally, after what seemed a lifetime of failures, found his true calling, where God wished him to be. So, in 1870, though many of the brothers still had some reservations, he was accepted into the division and donned the habit of the congregation in Montreal and was given a new name. 
He was now Brother Andre. No doubt the message from Andre's uh, 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 pastor, Father Provencal, was message that said, I'm sending you a saint, had a great bearing on his ultimate acceptance. But there was something else that was providential. When he arrived at his novitiate, it was exactly the same, down to the most minute detail, of the image he had seen many years ago when he asked God where he was going to die. The very same image. Well, what did it mean? Well, theologians over the years have considered his vision as having depicted the real meaning was the death of the person named Alfred Bassett and the emergence of the man who would forever be remembered as Brother Andre. Well, the predictions of many of the brothers proved correct. Brother Andre, with his small stature and fragile health, just wasn't able to do much in the way of the manual labor required and reluctantly appeared that he would be released from the order for health reasons. However, it's sometimes hard for us to recognize that in the long haul of destiny, God's will shall prevail. Brother Andre was aware of what was happening, but was not bitter or resentful, and when the Bishop of Montreal visited the novitiate and had the opportunity to visit with Brother Andre, Brother Andre pleaded with him for the opportunity to remain in the order and to serve God. He ended the conversation by saying to the bishop, My only ambition is to serve God in the most obscure tasks. God's master plan for Brother Andre was now in motion, and the bishop made the acceptance of Brother Andre, and Brother Andre made his profession on August 27th, 22nd in 1872, and his first assignment was at the Canadian Notre Dame College, where he had spent the greater part of his novitiate. And his job, well, he was to be the doorkeeper, and that would be his primary duty for the next 40 years. But the life of Brother Andre would not be lost behind the door as he became one of the best-known, respected, and loved individuals in not only Montreal, but most of Canada as well as other parts of the world. Life would not be a bed of roses either. He would have many crosses to bear, such as the superior who was impatient with his ways and would blame him, often unfairly. And yet Brother Andre never made excuses and accepted all the abuse he received with gentleness and piety. It was his desire to offer any discomfort on his part to Christ in atonement for the greater suffering he endured. Perhaps the criticism that he was heaped upon was to prepare him, and the world for that matter, with the graces he would receive and the supernatural events that were to become a part of his life as the doorkeeper and the porter. Never would there be a complaint of the way he was treated or any imposition. Instead, he would bear them in silence, hoping to unite himself with the suffering of Christ, which to him made any insult insignificant beyond belief. 
perhaps in a way, this was the legacy of Brother Andre, relying on the words of Christ that through his apostles and followers to whom he promised that signs and cures would follow their efforts, that the war, the war, that the weak and lame would walk, the deaf would hear, the dead would rise, to name just a few. And history shows us that down through the ages in the lives of the saints and holy people, these events would indeed take place, events that we would label miracles. Miracles by Brother Andre and a host of saints all the way down through the ages. At the college where he served as porter, a young man was ill. We don't know the cause, but it was a lingering illness, and the boy was feeling worse every day. He mentioned his condition to Brother Andre, who simply advised him to pray to St. Joseph for his recovery, and that he, too, would ask for St. Joseph's intercession. In a very short time, the young man felt completely normal, and like most young men, told his companions about the healing he must have received from St. Joseph through the intercession of Brother Andre. Stories like this cannot be kept secret. The young man told his friends, and they told their friends, and for years to come, ill students with all kinds of maladies would come to Brother Andre, and the number of healings would fill volumes, and the little doorkeeper would always give complete credit to St. Joseph. Oh, there are always doubters. One of the fathers of a student came to visit, and Brother immediately recognized a strained expression on the man's face and inquired if there was a difficulty. Well, somewhat agitated, the man explained that his wife was very ill and had been sick for years and that he was concerned about her. Brother Andre tried to console him that she was better and said, At this very moment she is better. For some reason, as he uttered the phrase, at this very moment, the man looked at his watch. Later, he called to inquire how his wife was doing, and the nurse told him that his wife asked to be taken out of bed and appeared unbelievably well. The man asked when this had happened and was told the time, the exact time Brother Andre had said, at this moment she is better. Rather than being considered out of the norm, these events became so commonplace that one of the priests started keeping a notebook record of the cures attributed to Brother Andre's intercession. This type of news cannot be contained and began to spread throughout Montreal first and and more of Canada and the United States later. For example, one day Brother Andre was walking down a certain street in Montreal when he was recognized, and a sick woman was brought out to him, followed by an army of sick men, women, and children in the neighborhood. And the crowd was so great, one of the women remarked that this must have been what it was like when the sick and lame were taken to Christ to be cured. Brother Andre overheard the remark and was quoted as saying, Perhaps so, but God is surely making use now of a very vile instrument. He always diverted the power of a cure away from himself. He never claimed he worked a single miracle and would always direct the credit from himself to his patron, St. Joseph. 
the cures were not accepted as cures by just the sick persons involved. The witnesses were doctors, nurses, teachers, other professionals, as well as family members, too. And the numbers of sick men, women, and children needing cures had grown so large in numbers as they descended on the university that the parents became concerned that, they, that their sons might be exposed to all types of illnesses that they complained to the bishop. Not that concerned, the bishop did call a meeting with Brother Andre and ask if he would stop the healing if he asked him. Always obedient, Brother Andre agreed, but the bishop gave him permission to continue, saying, If this work is from God, it will continue. If not, it will simply fade away. Well, the work continued and never faded away. As Brother Andre continued as doorkeeper, messenger boy, window cleaner, floor washer, and other duties, as well as spending six or eight hours a day receiving visitors who needed help for their health or other concerns, and most of them left better than they arrived. Brother Andre developed another dream. There was this, what might be called a small mountain in Montreal, and the Holy Brother felt that St. Joseph wanted a place on the mountain. And in addition to all his other activities, he started preparing for such a shrine at the top. Despite all the demands on his time, in 1904, he felt there was a definite need for a place of pilgrimage in honor of St. Joseph and pleaded with the bishop for the construction of a shrine at the top of Mount Royal. The bishop felt also that such a shrine would be a worthy undertaking, as did the founder of Brother Andre's order many years before. So Brother Andre took the lead and formally requested permission to build the shrine. This was really not a brand new idea, for Brother Andre had taken a student with him to the top of the mountain, where he buried a medal of St. Joseph there with the hope that the diocese would purchase the mountain as a shrine. Later, he even returned with a small statue of St. Joseph, which he placed in a little cave on the mountain. Well, now came the need for money. Not enough was available in Montreal, so Brother Andre came to the United States to beg for funds in cities like Boston and others, that too far distant away. And the miracles followed him. He met a couple with a baby suffering from a brain tumor, and Brother Andre lovingly took the baby in his arms and prayed for St. Joseph's intercession. And the baby was cured. Another American who was a non-Catholic had pierced his hand with a sharp metal object that had become so badly infected that amputation seemed the only resort. He told Brother Andre that he would become a convert if he could be cured. Andre took the infected hand in his own and prayed, and the pain immediately disappeared, and the hand was cured, and the man kept his part of the bargain too. Back home, he had collected just a small amount of money. The diocese had purchased the mountain, but he hadn't enough money to start the shrine as he wished. So Brother Andre had collected the few hundred dollars, and it was a start and the first chapel would be erected in 1904 and was actually little more than a small wooden shelter measuring just 15 feet by 18 feet. 
but people started coming. After about three years, Brother Andre went back to the bishop, telling him it needed to be enlarged to handle the crowds, and it needed a roof. Well, he raised a little more money, and the small chapel was erected. It was sparse and simple, but it was a beginning. It seemed like a miracle, but Brother Andre would say, I am nothing, only a tool in the hands of providence. After some deliberation by the bishop and his faith in Brother Andre, Brother Andre was given permission to keep building as long as he did not go into debt. Begging for money and, and even cutting boys' hair for money, bit by bit they were able to add the roof and then even a small heating system to keep the pilgrims warm during the cold winter months and eventually a tiny place where Brother Andre and several of his associates could live and minister to the pilgrims and their needs. Then came a paved road up the mountain and the cures and miracles continued. Well, the Great Depression struck and funds became even more scarce, but Brother Andre never lost faith in his dream of a magnificent shrine to St. Joseph. While the dream was a great church for St. Joseph, his devotion to the Mother of God was also powerful, especially as Our Lady of Sorrows, which was the title under which she was the patroness of the Holy Cross Congregation. He would say, when you speak to St. Joseph, you don't have to say much. You know that your Father in heaven knows what you need, and so does his friend, St. Joseph. Well, crowds of people were being drawn to the little shrine on Mount Royal, and the miracles continued. There was a small child from a convent in Quebec who was struck in the eye, creating a paralysis of the optic nerve. Try as they would, the doctors were not able to save her sight. The nuns had a medal of St. Joseph that had been blessed at the little oratory in the mountain and started a nine-day novena. Despite the declaration of several respected eye doctors that the injury was permanent, the nuns touched the blessed medal to the eye of the little child each day for the nine-day novena. And on the ninth day at the completion of their prayers, the little girl opened her eyes and the first thing she saw was the statue of St. Joseph. Brother Andre labored long and hard for St. Joseph and the establishment of his oratory and shrine on Mount Royal and was credited with a myriad of miracles, helping people from all classes and all religions despite the fact that he was almost constantly ill himself. He had suffered severe stomach disorders his entire life, but never let his own feelings deter in any way what he considered his life's goal to honor St. Joseph and the Holy Family. For the child whose father was afraid he would not live and rushed him to be baptized, Brother Andre spent 91 years on this planet Earth, and when asked about his own illnesses, would simply respond, I thank God for giving me the grace to suffer. I need it so much. And worn down by a lifetime of service to God and his children on Earth, Brother Andre told one of the priests in 1936 that this Christmas will be my last 
and indeed it was. Brother Andre left this world a better place when he began his journey to heaven on the 6th of January in 1937. The miracle worker of Mount Royal was now home, and I have no doubt he was embraced by St. Joseph before the throne of God. How did Montreal feel about losing the little friend of St. Joseph? Well, more than one million people passed by his simple casket with tears and respect. And his little shrine to St. Joseph that was his dream and gift to the child of Bethlehem? Well, today, that simple little hut on Mount Royal in Montreal stands as a living memorial to St. Joseph and his little friend, Brother Andre, and is a religious monument staggering in its size and beauty. I have been there, and I have seen this wonder myself. Today, it is taller than St. Patrick's Church in New York City, and taller, too, than the Cathedral of Notre Dame in Paris, as it rises more than 360 feet heavenward, and the cross on the dome can be seen from miles away, pointing toward the throne of God in heaven. A fitting monument, too, to a little religious known simply as Brother Andre, who was beatified by Pope John Paul II in May of 1982 on his path to sainthood. Brother Andre is another example that indeed all things are possible if you place your faith in God and pray. This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network.